0: Thanks everyone for joining us today. Um, my name is Matthew Wolfe. I'm thrilled to uh, introduce our guests today who are joining us for today's roundtable. Um, before I introduce them though, I'd like to, uh, before we get started on the conversation, I wanna lead us through a moment of silence to honor all the 2,511,767 reported worldwide COVID deaths as of today. Mm-hmm. And we'd also like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters as well as our first nation brothers and sisters whose lives have been taken by the hands of police brutality and other senseless acts of violence so if you just join me in a moment of silence that'd be great Okay, thank you everyone. Uh, you know, we've been holding these moments of silence since <clears> our first round table and, and we feel that it's important to hold this awareness as we find ourselves back on set and back at work. We're still in the midst of a pandemic and as we you know, return to work, we must do so with uh, this awareness of safety and empathy towards one another. So now I'd like to introduce our guest today and uh, joining us, I'll go in. I'll go in the order of what I can see in, in this box. Uh, top left. I don't know how you guys see it. Joining us um, from LA, we've got Eric Branco, DP Eric Branco. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Eric. Uh, his recent credits, film credits, forty year old version, uh, which is uh, we'll talk about during the during the discussion, uh, is in the, in the running the Oscars this year and was um, voted. I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, one of Sundance Film Festival Audience Award this year, last last year. And, uh, uh, on
1: the Directing Award. What's that? Directing Award, Best Director. Oh, oh,
0: oh. There you go, so I knew I'd get something wrong. And then um, <laughs> <laughs> previously, the year before that, you had another film uh, that was uh, won an award at Sundance, and that was Clemency, right?
1: Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, Clemency won the, <laughs> won the grand jury uh, the year before.
0: There you go, got the one right. And you recently uh, had your first foray into, into the TV world, which um, I'm not sure the name of the show, but I've been looking forward to, to discussing that. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, next, uh, we've got Rodney, Rodney Taylor, another DP, very esteemed DP. Uh, Rodney uh, is recent cr- credits, he's been in the business for a long time, but his recent credits, that he probably known for are, as he just mentioned, Swagger, uh, the TV show that he's been on. How many seasons now, Rodney?
2: It's only one season, but I've been in Richmond since October of 2019 to try to complete this. Okay, so yeah. you're in,
0: you're in Richmond, Virginia. So yeah. joining us from the from the longest TV show in history. Uh,
2: yeah, that's right. No, yeah, <laughs> what was the longest show? Avatar? No, it was Swagger.
0: <laughs> well we look forward to hearing about that shortly um so thanks for joining us rodney
2: yeah thank you for having me and thank you for accepting accepting my check to have uh to put me with two really cool dudes
0: <laughs> that's all right you know that's i i'm looking forward to um or the forum round table looking forward to running our business off, off that check and funding future film foundations of people in the next five years of your career thank you rodney yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and finally but not least we have uh, another esteemed dp tommy maddox upshaw joining us from los angeles and uh tommy's recent credits tv credits were empire uh snowfall and huge in france name a few and um he's currently prepping to travel for another big tv show which we we'll look forward to hearing about if we can discuss that and um uh we're very excited to have all three of you on here so tommy thanks for for joining in. Well, appreciate it. So um, I want to get started um, just uh, to talk about the, the lives of uh, DPs. Um, the, first of all, we're going to talk about the, the transition maybe from indie film to working in TV and what, what that's like. And um, also just uh, the relationship that it has, you know, working in the business has on our personal lives, uh, and well, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. But I, I know some of you, like you, kind of already know each other. Um, Rodney and, and Tommy, you guys know each other, and Eric and Tommy, you guys know each other. And I think you know we're keen to because Tommy
1: knows everybody. Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: <laughs> Everything runs true. through
3: Tommy.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> like to- Let's hear about I like that. To
3: meet good people. I like to meet good people, man. It's like, you know. <laughs>
0: Tommy, let's let's start with you then. Eric gave you the intro. Oh um, man, um, why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us how you got into the biz, and um, you know, and uh, where where how you arrived where you're at now?
3: Oh, I have a, a weird kind of fun journey. I started off. I'm originally from Boston, mm. Massachusetts, but I I started working a production in New York in the '90s as a production assistant on like hype William music videos. So it was like all those hip hop videos, like from DMX to Tribe, R. Kelly. I mean, I was a PA watching people like Malik Saeed do his thing, Danny Pearl wow. doing his thing, Vance Burberry. And I was like gripping for these guys. And you know, the guy that Rodney's shooting with, Cliff Charles was a gaffer at the time, and Best Boy and yeah. Cliff hiring me as an electric, uh, PA electric. Um, and brothers like Donovan Lambert, who these guys took me on as like their PA trainee, trained me in the 90s while I was still an undergraduate and I would travel from Massachusetts to Boston just to PA on these videos during my summer and winter breaks. After graduating from the College of the Holy Cross, I, uh, I worked in the business in Massachusetts for a while, still in New York, got in the union. Um, I was working with, Roddy. I don't know if you know this, but I was, I was working with Eric Messersmith. Oh yeah? Yeah, Eric Messerschmitt and I were like, I was like maybe 21, he was 20. And we knew each other in Massachusetts we were the two youngest guys in the yeah. IOTC union, 41. So we were like the two young bucks who are getting out of undergrad and like, were like we, we worked with each other and we, we were just That's young amazing. kids. And, uh, you know, now, then I went to AFI uh, a couple of years after graduating undergrad and i uh, been out in L.A. for 19 years now. And along that path, Cliff Charles kept hiring me from, you know, being electric to form. After I got a, out of AFI, he hired me to start gaffing for him on like Spike Lee jobs. Oh, cool. And then Spike helped me transition to camera operating and, and linked me up with my mentor, Maddie Libertique. And between Spike and Maddie and people like Cliff Charles, uh, who's a phenomenal DP, it's like, my career is like went from operator to DP. Then as we talked about Matt, the strike happened and then it was like the <laughs> weird journey, like coming back to DPing again uh, after the 2007, 2008 writer strike. I mean, it's uh and, you know, I've been DPing pretty steadily for a good, you know, 10 to, I guess, 15 years. But, you know, one thing we'll talk about is, uh, Two years after or two or three years after AFI, I had my first studio movie, this small sequel of a movie for Sony, three can play that game. But then the writer strike happened and then it was like, boop. it was like, oh, my God, like I went from being like, oh, my God, I got I got a shot. I'm starting a DP like studio work pretty young to like.
2: Oh, what? man?
3: What the hell? And luckily I was single. I wasn't married or anything, so I could kind of figure it out but it was kind of like oh my god like how did I all of a sudden lose 50 paces when I was like you know because I had done an indie movie in between my first and second year of AFI that got into a little bit of festival runs but then I had done enough that coming out of AFI after a couple of years I got a break and then the break was just co-busted <laughs> like two strikes, the, what was it Rodney? It was like what that it was the writers and actors back to back, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Like two thousand seven, yeah. two thousand
3: eight, and they let that went
0: on for like almost two years, three. It's like, yeah,
2: brutal. Yeah,
0: brutal. So I, I remember. <clears throat> I remember that. Funny enough, I was at that time. I was I was working. Uh, I'd I'd been in the states for about four years at that point, coming from the UK, coming from a commercials background, and I <laughs> I. I got into um, into reality television, and two thousand seven two thousand eight was kind of like the height, the heyday of re- reality TV. And I was oh, yeah. working nonstop. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get, I couldn't, you know, didn't know what to do with all the work. I was traveling all over the world. Wow! But um, we didn't and think I, about I that, doing, I ended up doing
3: reality TV after I did an indie movie, studio movie as a DP, had the Gaffneys commercials, and all of a sudden, I found myself doing reality tv and at the time all I could fester up to stick around was doing stuff for AFI because I went there and me and Rachel Morrison were the two alums responsible connecting people like alumni and we were both doing reality tv at the time well like what's going to happen like now you don't see where Rachel is but like I remember sitting with her at multiple coffee shops talking about how do we go from like AFI to freaking shooting reality TV, right? you know what I mean? It was, that was
0: gnarly, man. That that strike, and I was like, what the hell? Yeah. You know, Tommy, funnily enough, uh, one reality show that I did was a New York spinoff of a reality show in in LA called uh, The Hills.
3: And I I, I did
0: The the City, and Rachel was the DP of The the Hills. And uh, she flew out to New York to hand it off to me. And um, I didn't know, I didn't know, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know who she was at the time. So uh, we met yeah, for one day back in whenever it was, 2008, I think, or 2009 until, until I, I didn't see her again until I bumped into her at a, at a cinematographer's dinner uh, hosted by Ari in LA, probably like mm. four years ago. It was, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, she's come a long way. But very, well, very cool, Tommy, very cool. Um, Rodney, what about you, man, what's, what's your journey?
2: Um, wow, man, it's long, but, um, you know, what I, what I will say to the younger cinematographers who are listening, you know, they always say to you when they talk to you, you know, like what's the roadmap and you're like, there is not one. And all three of us will have different stories here. And every DP has a different story of how to get there, you know, and it's all about just persistence and passion. And, uh, you know, I came from an incredibly small Uh, fishing village called sea level north carolina that's like a, a road to a fish house um and if i can somehow make my way into this anybody can do it you know you um you just have to have that passion but uh i went to school in chapel hill i went to carolina but it really wasn't much of a film program um but what they had at the time was espn was just launching really and uh so live sports, there was a huge network of live sports cameramen out of Chapel Hill because of ACC basketball and the history of that. So I joined that and started shooting live sports for about six years out of uh, Chapel Hill. And then I moved to uh, Los Angeles to, to pursue film. I didn't know anybody really and uh, started at Roger Cormans as an assistant. Um I had met Levy Isaacs at the work, at the workshops in Maine, and he gave me a shot to be his assistant on this show called uh, Saturday the Fourteenth Strikes Back, at Roger Corman's. And uh, Janusz Kamiński was the gaffer, Mario Fiore was the key grip. Um, you know, we were just living and breathing film, and um, it was pretty exciting. You know, I couldn't believe I was working on a on a movie. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just worked my way up from there and um, started working on, I also took a little bit of a turn and went into IMAX films, which I loved. I shot, uh, I assisted on probably a dozen IMAX films all over the world, and then I started shooting IMAX films, another dozen of those. And in the meantime, I was trying to do indie films between those projects, um, so I did indie films, I started shooting those, and um, but unfortunately, no one saw any of those films <laughs> ever, so I so it was really difficult to get, you know, it's all about people seeing your films, you know, um, I, I'm interested to hear Eric's experience. Cause he's had some, you know, people have seen those films, you know, um, but the films I saw, they would go win these festivals, but no one would ever see them, you know, and, um, the box office would be like a hundred grand. You're like, Oh man. <laughs> so, um, so that's when I started the television, uh, journey. And I don't know if you want to get into that now or not, but, uh, or maybe we want to hear about Eric's journey first, um, but but that's the continuation. Will be you know getting into television for me.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's let's jump let's jump over to Eric, and then yeah, we'll come back to that. Thanks, yeah.
1: Rodney. Yeah, um, I uh, uh, I grew up in New York City. I grew up in the Bronx. Um, so you know. I, uh, I think I was lucky, you know, I grew up with that much money, but I think I was lucky in that I lived somewhere where there was an art community. And even though I didn't know anybody that was, that was making art for a living, I knew that people were, and it was possible somehow. Um, you know, so that, I think that gave me, I guess maybe the confidence to, to kind of go for it. Um, I think, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that I wanted to be a cinematographer until I got to college, um. But I knew I wanted to be involved in storytelling somehow. Uh, so as a kid, uh, I used to act um, in like very, very small, uh, like off off Broadway productions. Um, and I thought, you know, I thought the people who I looked up to at the time, you know, the kind of New York filmmakers like Spike Lee and and you know at the time Woody Allen, uh, you know, they all wrote and directed and acted in their own pieces. Um, and I thought, I thought that's just what you did. Um, so you know, I. Started acting, uh, decided to go to sc- film school for directing, um, and was just making short films with my buddies. You know, worked worked a summer job uh, as a lifeguard, and uh, you know, made enough money to buy a little digital camera, um, little like Sony Handycam. Started making shorts with my friends. Um, applied to film school, got into the school of visual arts in New York. Um, I couldn't really afford to like travel or go anywhere for school, so I just commuted, commuted down to down to the school SBA in New York um got there uh and kind of really while there really really fell in love with filmmaking and telling a story visually uh using a camera um and I think I was one of the few people there that that really really had a passion for it and so you know I started shooting other people's you know student films like I mean first year films second year films um and I ended up I don't know I found the environment pretty creatively stifling so I ended up dropping out um and I just started picking up work, uh, you know, doing Indie G&E in New York City. Um, you know, got linked in with, with a couple of good kind of crews. You know, I'm sure you guys can attest to this, but, you know, I feel like g e crews are kind of like pirate ships. You know what I mean? Like everybody kind of like has, there are like different kind of like, you know, crews that all work together. Um, you know, so I got, I got kind of brought into a couple of those, uh, started working a ton uh you know the whole time I was still the whole time I was still shooting um stuff on the weekends stuff with friends you know I'd meet people on set you know we were we'd be working this thing for money and we'd you know but we'd get along and say hey let's do a short over the weekend um Matt I'm pretty sure I made you sit through a couple of those terrible short films back (laughs) in the day uh but uh But, uh, you know, eventually, I mean, I, it, there was no real like kind of like sea change. Eventually, there was this, this kind of thing where I was, you know, I was I was at the time I was gaffing um, and I eventually just made enough money DPing that I could start to, you know, kind of tip the scales and stop taking GE work. Um, and funny enough, Rodney, ESPN was also I uh, I got this uh, very random job doing ESPN's like first web series. Uh, oh, revolving around Monday Night Football. So, um, which at the time was like the most money I, I had ever made on anything. And like, you right, know, right. they would put us on a plane and I didn't have to pay for the ticket. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but we did, I did a season of, of Monday Night Football where we would go to the city, you know, do like, you know, film, you know, Friday, Saturday, um, you know, do a tailgating video that they would have online uh, for halftime. Uh, so I did a season of that and that was kind of like the clean break from working grip electric. Um, once I'd kind of been out of that world for, you know, six, seven months, uh, I got back to the city and, uh, you know, all those kind of genie connects had moved on to other people. And I was like, well, here goes. And from then, you know, kind of from that point really was only a DP.
0: Cool. Very cool. You know, it's, it's interesting that a lot of people always ask well, most people always ask, like young people, how do you get your, you know, how do you get your start? And like you said, Rodney, every, there are so many different stories and so many different ways, there's not one way. And clearly just by listening to you, all three yeah. of your stories, you know, it's obvious. I mean, I, I remember when I was coming up in, in England uh, as a camera assistant and I, I, I was taught, I would talk to lots of first ACs or focus pillars as we call them in, in England. And, uh, and operators who were frustrated because they wanted to be DPs and they got caught in the financial trap, and wow. uh, you know like, you know they had families and you know bills to pay for and houses to pay for, and um, you know that they're, they're like, ah, oh, you know, I, I, it's never going to happen for me anymore. And I remember thinking to myself, that's not going to happen to me. I'm going to jump right now, and uh, and I jumped, expecting everyone to kind of that knew me as a clapper loader as a, to give me jobs as a DP, and of course it didn't happen. So uh, you had to go out and. And work your way up, um, uh, you know. So it's there's there's multiple ways of of like cracking cracking into the business, um, Rodney. Uh, but specifically now, you know, TV. I, I want to talk a little bit about tele- television, and I, you could say maybe this is a golden age for TV. Um,
2: definitely. yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, if you consider, you know, look, just looking at the, the the caliber of actors that that work on TV shows and how that those, you would never have seen those kind of caliber of actors. You know, they would go stay strictly in the cinema world and the theater world, movie world. And um, now I feel like the onus is a little bit pushed more towards TV than it is movies. And, you know, you're seeing the quality of work is so great, not just from the acting standpoint, the writing standpoint and and the filmmaking and shooting standpoint from, you know, people like you guys and, um, and I'm keen to hear what you, you know, from all of you, because uh, you know, you've obviously, all of you transitioned from movies t- to, to TV, just what your experiences are and, and, and how, you know, what you have to say on that topic, really. Um, Rodney, yeah, let's, let's just kind of tie, tie back in with you in terms of how you made that entry into TV.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, man. I mean, I have to say, you know, I, 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 you know, a lot of us come to Los Angeles with the idea of doing movies, and, um, you know, I was on that journey, and I really loved films, um, and I loved the indie films I was shooting, um, but it really started getting to a point where it's almost becoming a hobby. I couldn't make any money. I mean, you just, the rates kept going down, actually, and um, I think the, the last offer that I turned down was 1000 a week. And I'm going. Wait a minute! I got to pay a sitter a thousand a week for my kids. Uh, I'm not a financial whiz, but that's not working out. You know, <laughs> I mean, like this, is, this um, And I just started watching what was happening on television, and I was like, Hold on a minute! These are the these are the scripts that I'm interested in. These are the things that used to be movies. Now they're on television. The dramas on television. You know, the 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 really that, that really great balance of drama with comedies on television, you know, and, and, and I I need to get into this and, uh, you know, the the rate's definitely better because it's protected by the union. So you're, um, so I talked with my agent, you know, Dan Burnside, and we made a very clear plan. So for me, this wasn't like, this wasn't like a backup plan. This is something I really love doing. And, um, and I made the transition, but the transition was not easy. I mean, I had to, uh, I basically sat down and I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to choose five cinematographers who are veteran television cinematographers. And I'm going to choose five guys who have made it from indie film to television. And I'm going to write email. I I knew them. It's not like they were just out of the blue. I, they were people I didn't know. And I sat down and wrote an email saying, you know, and at the time, by the way, as you know, getting these offers for a thousand a week, you know, um, I was starting to operate again. I I I'd actually skipped that step. I was an assistant. Then I started shooting in the indie film and these IMAX films, and um, I had to start operating again. And you know, it was pretty humbling to be an ASC member operating a camera for people. But luckily, I had some really good friends that took me through that period. And uh, it was only with friends, and it was great. And I learned a lot actually by doing it. And um, so. I wrote these 10 DPs and I said, I, would, I will operate for you on television. I will splinter a unit for you on television. I'll shoot second unit for you on television. I really wanna get in. And I got great responses back from everybody about you know what to do, how to do it. But Jim Deneau called me and said, uh, he was one of the DPs, a friend of mine. And he said, hey, I'm doing this show for, getting, for HBO called Getting On. And I'm gonna operate a camera and I need a second camera operator that's a DP to work because we're, we're going to be flying. There's three day episodes and we it's documentary style. And I want somebody that knows, you know, lighting and you can just operate the camera and you'll be doing it on your own pretty much. <clears throat> um, and he said, you know, and most likely if season two happens, I wouldn't even be around. So maybe we can get you the job, you know, and you can start shooting television. And, and that's what happened. He, um, he did the first season. I got along great with everybody. Um, and when season 2 came up i got the job to shoot it and um i can't thank jim enough uh, i thank him constantly but um that's where it started and then i started just that's you know you get that one show and then you start working towards getting more television series and i for me it's been an incredible experience i mean i have worked with some fantastic directors you know i, I mean i would have never gotten to do um a movie with Jonathan Demme as a director um, but I did a TV series with him I did a TV series with Lee Daniels I mean like these are guys that probably would not call me for a feature but I got to, to work with them as directors and the experience has been great and then you know on in an indie film you guys know you know it's like you have uh, your crew if you're lucky is a grip electric department of four and four and you know you're operating the camera with a couple of assistants and you're going at it you know And now I'm on the show Swagger and I've got like 50 people in my department. Um, It's mind blowing, you know, and you can do anything. If a director says, can we do this? Yeah, we can do it. You can do anything and it's really been great. I I love it. So that's my experience with television.
0: Awesome, awesome. Um, Tommy, let's let's, uh, let's go uh, back to you for a second. Um, how, How did you foray into TV? I mean, you know, coming out being shadowed or rather having Maddie, in the boutique, as a as a mentor, you know, and obviously him going down the movie path that he has. Um, yeah. What led you What led you into the TV, into the TV world, and uh, what's your experience?
3: Kind of ties into that down period, like you know, I was operating from Maddie, and then I was doing the reality TV thing, and it's funny because my first show narrative straight narrative was real husbands of hollywood with kevin hart the very last season of that where it's like it's a totally scripted show but they want it as like a faux reality tv right so just because i had done that freaking reality r and divas la and some <laughs> other shows and like r and divas was cool because i love the crew like uh, the, the people on that some of them still work with me on my narrative side that's great and, and one of them one of my operators is now a dp like this woman vanessa smith who is the dp of mayans this season was like my operator from r and you know and, and then i brought her on to real husbands and then i brought her on to some other stuff and then like jose one of my acs is the couple. i think uh but we have for uh, we have freddie with this but it's like because i had did that and i got put up by this uh, producer named Carl Craig, who is the producer of Real Husbands and like Stan Lathan and Ralph Farquhar, who are two black men I've been in television like longer than possibly anybody, black or white. Stan Lathan is the longest running director in the DGA for anything. Wow. Like Stan did Sanford and Son when he was like in wow. his 20s. Wow. So he, the three of them brought me into like the narrative TV space through BET, And I did real husbands. And then Stan brought me on another show with him that he was producing. And like those guys really kind of grew me, but it was like my approach of that reality space kind of worked into transitioning to doing that show just off of the universe. And it was like, okay. So it was like the things I learned from Maddie, but then at the foot speed of the, you know, my, you know some bad some great reality tv experiences helped transition me into this space but then i would still do movies with maddie and maddie would bring me on to second unit on stuff and then i would get an indie movie so i was straddling the space for years you know the tv and i just have kept kind of like doing this dance and you know it's it's kind of worked out i mean i've done indie movies in like south africa and couple other spots while still doing the tv thing and it's like how do i do it if i make x amount you know financially doing the tv then it gives me a little bit of leeway but now the stories have gotten so much better but the writing was on the wall though to rodney's point with netflix once like netflix went from like i used to get all those dvds in the mail (laughs) then word came out that they were going to start making their own stuff and then, you know, being in the business and the hearing stuff, you're like, wait a second. Then you see them put a building up two blocks away from where I was living at the time when I was single yeah. In yeah. Hollywood, they put up, you know, Netflix on the corner building on Sunset and the 101. You're like, oh, something's up. Yeah, and you're like, for sure. here, goes, here goes the pad. Then all Hulu comes up and then Disney acquires Hulu. You're like, the writing's on the wall. And yeah. all these filmmakers are getting deals on these online streaming platforms. You're like, oh.
2: Big time, yeah.
3: It's uh, we all got to be ready for the shift and like, trust me, I have these discussions with Maddie and he's definitely like, you know, he's like, oh, you know, the, the TV space versus the film space and like how to surf it. And I definitely want to still do movies. I'm still, you know, I'm interviewing to do movies still. But these stories, I mean, like you watch Snowfall and I mean, Snowfall is different TV from Empire. Like I, I stood yeah, in Empire and it was cool, but yeah, you watch Snowfall, it's a big ass feature yeah put it against anything that you watch feature space it's like look at the depth of the writing and the characters and all my stunts that we do week to week how many people we kill do you know what i mean and the the visual language is Mm. like i'm i'm not scared to say like i can i think it could be put up on a 50-foot screen i mean i color it on a 35 foot screen at tech you know what I mean? So I see the color space. I, I choose yeah, certain yeah. lenses. I shoot majority primes. I augment my lenses. I have different luts to twist color. But it's like, this space is so creative and it's such a long it yeah. form. It's the real, yeah, it's yeah. like the new long form. See, like, a it feature, is. like a short form now. It is. And, you know, yes. dramatic TV is like, long, like Handmade Tale, like, you kidding me? It's a it's yeah. intriguing fun stuff. See, it's like yeah. That's long form.
2: You know? Yeah, you're you're now working on a you're you're working on a ten hour movie now. That's how yeah. I look at it. You're, and my approach is exactly the same. People, go, how do you approach it differently? I don't. It's the same. I shoot oh. it exactly the same as I would a movie. It, there's no difference for me. I, I and I think putting that in your head, like, you know, I'm doing whatever version of visual art you want to call it. You know, like movie, TV, whatever, streaming. It's all the same to me. Um, and in fact, on this show, Swagger. Reggie Bythewood, the creator wouldn't even let allow us to say episode. He will correct you every time. It's a maze. The show is built on mazes and there's 10 mazes and it's 10 continuous hours of a maze. It's not an episode, it's not television, it's not a movie. It's this long form. It's it's a new yeah. You know back in the day when friends which you know it was a great TV show but friends was like this half hour situational thing each week, nothing you know, the fact that they lived together was the only thing that tied them together. This is like a start, a middle, an end, and it's 10 hours. There's, what is the difference in that in a movie? To me, I think it's the same. And and the stories are more interesting.
3: And to your point, this is what I do. I go to the writer's room mm-hmm. and I sit in and, I, and I look at the board, like every writer's room has a board up and they talk about the arc of the season. And with that arc of the season, I try to put my visual arc that parallels Mm -hmm. the arc of the season. So I may even switch lenses at a certain point in the story because I think there's an emotional different context of what's going on. So like even my new show that I'm doing, we have two sets of lenses and I'm gonna probably be doing anamorphic and large format spherical because I want a different emotional context depending on the storyline that we're going after that's, that's arcing a certain way. But in the beginning, there needs to be a different visual impact between a couple of the major storylines, you know? Yeah. Same thing you do on a feature. You know, I'm in exactly. like, two countries shooting a TV show. And, <laughs>
2: right. Yeah.
3: It's like you're kidding me? That's just uh that's just TV. It's like, it's like, come on, how many features like get to really do
0: that? It's it's yeah it's a fun space. It is, yeah. It's yeah, so just before we go to Eric, just, um we don't often talk about technical stuff in the film round table. We kind of save that. For other uh, podcasts and, and conversations, but um, I'm sure there'll be somebody wanting to wanting to pick you up, Tommy, on using spherical, large format spherical, and, and anamorphic in the same space. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and how they would cut together? Are you, yeah. are, you are you kind of like punching in or using part mm-hmm. of the frame, or are you literally jumping from widescreen to you know to to we'll four, keep three? it
3: all the same aspect ratio two four? So yep. and the large format spherical will extract. But the yeah. thing, is, if you notice on anamorphic, you really kind of flatten people out. It compresses people a certain way, like faces. And there's a lot of close focus in the language. And even with close focus, anamorphic still is still kind of a flat, close focus versus a spherical situation. The roundness of somebody's face is it's just emotional. It's a different response, but you can see it. You know what I mean? Two foot on anamorphic you know, same kind of focal length, two foot on large format spherical is a different, it's like, it's totally different emotionally. And then there's also characteristics to the, to the glass that we're using, you know, it's different color temperatures also. So between the color temperature, the flare, the compression, I'm trying to evoke that this storyline has a certain like, you know, flatness to a colder in terms of tone versus are lead characters who are in a different emotional state than the people, the protagonists who are coming after them.
0: I, lo- I love that, thanks for explaining that. I mean, one of the things I noticed when I first started, I'm also a DP for, the, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, but I work in the commercial space for the most part. And when I first started using um, large format cameras, one of the things straight away, you know, you could, without actually getting to the technical aspects of it, I would, you know, you could be on a much wider lens uh, and be closer and still have a, a nice depth of field, fall off and, and that, that 3D element of it was just, you, you almost, it's a subconscious thing that anyone looking at it would go, what's, what's different about this? I feel so much closer, much mm-hmm. more into the action. And uh, it's, I think that's, it's been amazing to, to shoot on that on, on large format cameras and um, how that's really helped kind of change the visual storytelling There's another tool in our box. Uh, so I, it's very exciting I think everywhere you know all the um, the podcast not the podcast sorry all the Instagram profiles I'll follow you know you see a lot of people shooting mostly on large format cameras nowadays probably for that reason uh, but it's cool to have another another tour in the box and, and the way you're using it to, to help differentiate the story is is great. And you know, I'm sure people will get a lot of value out of hearing about that. Eric, let's just go. Let's just go over to you for a second because I know, as you've touched upon, we've known each other for a long time, and and I'm um, uh, I mean, I'm especially excited to to see your journey. You know, from those crew days where you know you crewed for me, and uh, and I sat through your films, which were which were <laughs> which had a glint of the future in them. You know, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because you know. You said, you said, like, about how you, you know, Woody Allen would like act and direct in his movies. I remember you, you, um, uh, what was the grip the key grips name that you used to hang out with at the time?
1: Who, Brandon Taylor?
0: Brandon, Brandon. Yeah. That's a good key grip and, um, a great guy. And you guys would make films together. You guys would, would go off and do everything. You would write it and direct it and produce it and act in it and shoot it. And, uh, I mean, if anyone worked hard at, at making, trying to make their film career happen, you guys were definitely it. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we spoke last year, the beginning of the p- pandemic, you know, not long after the success of uh, a 40 year old version. And um, I remember, you know, you, you had, like we all have moments of, of, you know, what's coming next and, you know, what, what does it lead to? I think I'm going to, I want to come back and touch on that in a second, um, but but I'm, for right now I'm interested to know, or rather I think be our audience would be interested to know how you go from a from a career of indie movies to a TV show, and and then what the difference in your experience because this is your first TV show right? So um, I think that's really interesting. And clearly Tommy and Rodney are you know well they're newbies at shooting tv too but a slightly more experienced than you guys are but um you know they've been doing it for years so yeah yeah keen I think we're all keen to hear your perspective on on tv and how it happened and, and what your and what your experience was
1: yeah I mean I um you know I think my my I think I'm I'm lucky in some ways in that like it kind of took me so long to kind of get anything I've shot, you know, seen by, by a large group of people that, uh, that I think now I feel ready for the opportunities that come my way and I feel comfortable in a set in a way that I probably wouldn't have, um, you know, had, had I gotten these opportunities earlier. Um, you know, I think this, so I got, I got, I think last we spoke, I was kind of down on myself because the network had, had not approved me for a show that I really wanted to do um but I guess about a year ago um I think I think we maybe spoke like that week or right after and I was like oh I don't know uh <laughs> but
0: uh been brutal.
1: <laughs> brutal yeah uh but it was it, you know was, I was I wanted to do this this uh this HBO this HBO max kind of mini series thing with the director I'd worked with before uh and they just wouldn't wouldn't approve me um and so You know, I was like, all right, well, I guess, you know, I guess I'm going back to kind of going back to Indie World. Um, And then, you know, I spent, you know, then the pandemic hit, everything turned upside down. Um, I really, you know, paid the bills doing at-home commercials, um, you know, shooting with my family. You know, I met Ren and Satami on one uh, on a screen that looked like this. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, but, uh, you know. Then I got, I got this, uh, you know, I was interviewing for things. This thing started coming back. And one of the things I interviewed for uh, was uh, this this new show on HBO Max that was ostensibly a sketch show, but it was with, um, it was written by Michael Che, and it was being directed by uh, a gentleman, Azra Rodriguez, who uh, did kind of previously his, like, you know, most well-known thing was he did all the digital shorts for SNL. Um, and so... He had kind of like tons and tons of experience working in this kind of like short form sketch thing. And he was really trying to break out of that visually into something else. Uh, And he saw a film I shot called Clemency. And I think that's what probably got me the interview. So interestingly enough, I got this TV show, which doesn't, you know, it's a a comedy, um, you know, through probably one of the darkest, most dramatic things I ever shot uh, for anybody that there's no clemency is a is a um, very very kind of like somber uh, tale about a prison warden uh, and her life between two scheduled executions uh, at her prison um, so like it's certainly kind of like you know down depressed there's you know definitely like a bring tissues type movie um, but this Oz, Oz uh, saw it and I think really really Appreciated the visual language and kind of the, the the steadiness and the long takes, and I think it was so different from what people were doing in the comedy TV space that I think he, you know, um, I think he really took a chance and was like, I think I think if we melded this with kind of what I'm what I've been doing, we could make something different. Um, so, you know, I really have to thank him for for kind of bringing me through. And funny enough, then the same network approved me, approved me, you know, six months later. So. I didn't shoot anything else between the. Yeah, yeah.
2: Who knows, man? That's the other thing. Who knows how all this happens? It's, it's, it's. You, you can't. You'll destroy yourself trying to figure it out. Like you gotta just let it go, and you know, uh, just keep working hard.
0: You know, uh, just going back to um, something that you said, Rodney, and then just throwing it in with Eric, uh, Eric's experience. Rodney, you said you don't approach TV any differently than you do a movie um you know i've i've worked a little bit in, in the tv space where i've shot some some uh, tandem days and second unit on some shows and for me from coming from commercials the pacing is incredibly different um you know much faster and a lot more people are looking at you to try and work things out in a different way where you've got you go into a commercial and you've got you know, you've thought about it you've got time to to plan it through obviously if you're the lead dp on a, on a tv show then of course you planned it but when you're coming in uh like i was um and you've only got a few days to kind of read the script and figure it out and come onto sets so that you might not have even have a chance to see before then um you got to move fast and you got to i remember one scene uh it was on the sinner uh and you know, it was in a hotel room and you know two characters were talking to each other and there was uh, a lot of eye, a lot of uh, uh, crosses of eye line. People were moving back and forth, and it was it was a real complicated thing to try and figure out how to kind of cover it, you know, without crossing the line. And you know, so I'm sitting there trying to work it all out, and people are going, "So what are we doing, Matt? Everyone, as soon as the rehearsals over, everyone looks you. What are we doing? So um, I wasn't used to that basically, and uh, yeah. I learnt it, but at the same time, I'm here. I'm keen to hear. Eric, you know, whether, well, I believe you you shot for HBO, right? So um, maybe you might, I think you might have more time on HBO, my experience with working on HBO, but I'd be interested to hear all from all of you if that's the case. But Eric, how did you transition from indies to, to TV in your first experience?
1: I mean, I have the opposite experience. I mean, it was way slower than any feature that I've made. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, features yeah. were, I mean, you know, I mean, that was, care. that was, Ooh. I think one of the, one of the things I think, you know, uh, there's always the, always these questions of, you know, I think as a DP, you have to prove yourself, you know, you have to prove yourself to kind of like, it's like, you know, a rippling pond where like you prove yourself to these people and those people tell these people and you know, I mean, kind of like, a, you know, it grows and grows and you, you know, so, but a big conversation was, can I shoot quickly? Can I do these things? You know, can I, can I shoot a, a show that's going to look good you know, and make our days. Uh, but like coming from, coming at a, at a indie, it's like, I mean, I mean, we shot Clemency in 17 days, um, you know, and I think probably two or three of those days ended up on the cutting floor. So it's like, we right. shot it in, what, 14, 15 days, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, and we're doing, you know, a nine page day, a 10 page day is just like, not even discussed it's just what you do the producers are like well we'll, we'll make that a two camera day uh you know <laughs> get at it so you know so i mean tv i mean there were certain times there were certain times we where we were moving very very quickly but i mean certainly not any faster than i had already worked before
2: and you have a bigger crew right i mean you've got that's the thing you've got this bigger crew that can help you achieve that schedule like Because I I agree with Eric, to me, the schedule is the same. They're like, you know, um, this is what, you know, the schedule is exactly the same. But now I've got an army of people to help me make the show. And, um, you know, and hopefully you've got an experienced director, whereas on a movie, you probably work with a first time director. So it, I don't know, for me, the speed is is, uh, not that difficult
0: same for you Tommy. your
3: experience yeah i i would say you know I, I just keep it you know i keep the same speed and there was something i learned yeah. from freaking maddie like all gas no brakes yeah. like if you ever watch that? yeah over, and it's just like you don't sit down and if you only have one speed then you don't know anything else you know what i mean yeah. like so it's like have you know the you know my thing is like always have a couple of uh Suggestions ready as you walk, watch it out, and you just yeah. like, I'm a sports guy. So it's like, you got to have two or three options when the defense comes out. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it right. was called, but yeah. it's like, I, I got to be able to, to understand every option route that each one of these guys are going to run because yeah. that's just what it is. Otherwise, they're going to be like, does this guy know what he's doing? Oh, fuck no. You know what I mean? It becomes one of those things like, we're not going to make the, here comes the show. Like, oh my God. Oh my they're going gonna, to gonna shut us down. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to hold on to this extra money for my boat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. where's that extra money go that you know we don't yeah. save you? You know what I mean? Some producers are, are, I work with a couple that have been like, toss my guys extra money at the end of a show. Because wow. we've saved money.
1: Yeah.
3: And there's, of course, other producers. Te- are- text me their
1: numbers after you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We get off this yeah. Call. Me, I just
2: want
3: to have, them, have right?
2: a quick
1: chat with them. Yeah, my crew my yeah, yeah, no. can
3: attest to it. They got <laughs> straight up bumps. Wow. And wow. Other Amazing. This is where it's kind of like, so with all that extra time, did we end up getting like, why are you still at us a certain way? But yeah, you gotta <laughs> yeah. have one speed, man. Whatever you do, yeah. try to be consistent about it and just have more ideas than the director may know that yeah. what's possible. You know what I mean? As you watch the blocking.
2: After, yes. You know, and also it's like, you got to steer the blocking a little bit to the schedule sometimes, you know, like, um, you know, yeah, we can do that, but it's, it's actually an extra hour to do it that way because we got to pick up three more shots. But if we just block it this way, we don't need those three extra shots and the scene is going to play the same, you know, so um, let's do that. And the directors want to hear that because they want, you know, more takes and more options. So you just have to be quick on your feet. I don't, I don't know if I have the patience to spend a lot of time between setups. I like to keep it moving and keep it rolling. I think the actors can perform better if they're not waiting around all day long to do a a scene. You know, I, I, I have a funny story about working on star. I came, I, uh, my cam operator needed a day to go to a wedding or something. And he said, if I can find somebody to come in that you like, can I leave for the day? And it just so happened that Jeff Haley was in town uh, prepping and Jeff is an amazing cam operator. He did all the David O. Russell films and he does. Now he does the big Marvel films and everything. So he was prepping and he said, sure, I'll come in. So he comes in for the day and about lunchtime, he comes over to me. He goes, do you work like this every day? <laughs> Because <laughs> he's you know before lunch they've done like four shots and and you know we've done like twenty before lunch and he's like Is, do you do this every day I'm like yep <laughs> 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 wow dude <laughs> he barely took the rig off all day you know that's funny
0: um, so so let, let's just change change tack for a little bit I, you know I'd like to um, uh, I'd like to kind of talk about uh, perhaps being away from, you know, the, you know, we, we all love what we do and, you know, you know, we're fortunate to make a living doing what we're doing. And, you know, for me in the commercial space, you know, the last 20, 20 odd years, I've been doing this and, um, you know, I've managed to make an, a good enough living to be around uh, a lot, but, um, being in TV I'm imagining you're gone for months at a time. And uh, something that Rodney, speaking to Rodney last night, um, and uh, you know, and you touched on it, Tommy, and you were starting to talk about it at the beginning. So now's your chance to bring it up again. Uh, you know how you and Rodney bumped into each other in Home Depot, <laughs> and uh, you know you, and you, you, you know, Rodney said that, that Tommy, you're the kind of guy that that you would like lo- he would love to have more of a friendship with. But the fact is that you guys are both traveling so much that you're never around, and you know, and so. It's so much so that you bump into each other at Home Depot, and you know, I'll let you guys share the story. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's
3: you know, hilarious because Rodney is literally in the place. We were talking like September of 2019, yeah, and you're like getting ready to go to, to, um, to Virginia, Richmond, to Richmond. yeah. And then he ended up getting stuff, but we had seen each other. I actually came and visited you because you were outside of my house one day. That's right. Shooting at my old old house over at the stadium. And Rodney was gracious enough to let me come by. I wanted to check out the stadium because I always see it, I used to see it from outside my window. And then from there, we ran into each other. And it's just like the crossing of paths because I usually am out of town. Like every other year, it seems like I'll leave town or something. Yeah. And, you know, so I've been home this past year because of COVID and snowfall Right. and I had just got inside to Chicago, came home, been a year of snowfall. Now I'm going back out. So I yeah. try to build a pattern so then I have a little bit of time home and away and try to balance and bring the family out. But yeah. uh, it is tough. I mean, you talk to a lot of people, social media, you try to run into people when you're in the same city. You try to right. find out who's there shooting as well and try to meet up and try to have this camaraderie, but it's like, it's kind of par for the course. Like, you know, it's uh, the film business is not, you know, it's not all about California anymore. I mean.
2: Definitely not.
3: Yeah. It's, and it's not all about New York City either. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm doubling like New Mexico and like Spain. I'm like, <laughs> why? I'm like, okay. Yeah sure like because everybody has a tax break right so the producers in the studios are chasing where they can get the bang for the buck at a price point and finish their show yeah so we're kind of at the mercy of that but um i mean it's definitely tough man it's uh yeah miss certain birthdays you miss certain events now with COVID, it is kind of like even worse because i yeah i have to leave but then it's like even if my family comes There's a five day off the top, depending on the country, five day off the top or ten day off the top that they can't even like see you know see me to stay with me because of what's the regulation and I can't come up positive like you know what I mean yeah it's difficult man but I signed up for it and Mm -hmm. I I didn't get a desk job
2: (laughs) yeah it's true yeah we 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 ended up talking for an hour that day in the Home Depot just because we hadn't seen each other and you know it's uh. We're just there in the aisles. You know. I think they started getting concerned about why we were there so long. <laughs> These dudes scoping this place out or what's going on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and no one's prepared for this, man. Like, you're, you're, you know, you're pursuing it when you're young. You don't have a family. You want to do it. You're passionate about it. And then, um, you know, as you get older, you start to have a family. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I don't see them that much it's really hard and you can't prepare anyone for that you know Uh, i've only done one job in la in six years and that's the one that tommy came and visited me on Um, and that actually show was ballers which started in florida but they moved it to la for i got to do the last season in la and um but yeah one job in six years man you start going wow i'm just on the road i mean you know and these jobs are five or six months at a time um my kids are now older you know they're 18 and 21 now, which I can't believe, so they're probably just fine with dad not being too close by. But, um, but I miss them a lot, you know, and it's it's uh it's hard, um, to be gone so much. And yeah, with COVID, I'm not jumping on an airplane to go see them for a quick weekend or anything, it's too hard, it's too difficult to do it that way. I felt so much responsibility for the show to um to not be positive, and um, you know, so you're. You're definitely not seeing them as much as you'd like. That's for sure, you know. And uh, when they're younger, it's really hard. Um, so
0: that's the yes. time that when they're younger. That's the time. Well, the
3: thing is, I have a ten. I have a nine-year-old who's going to be ten when I leave. She'll have her yeah. birthday. So, like next week, we're going to have her birthday party with, you know, my wife and I and my mother-in-law, and do it right. and give her some presents next weekend. Cause her birthday is like next month, just so I'm here to have like cake and ice cream, with her. you know what I mean? So it's like,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I did the same out. thing. I did the same thing on this show. Yeah. My daughter's birthday was, uh, I mean, it was a tough one. This show was supposed to wrap mid December. My cool. daughter's birthday is January 5th. We were supposed to wrap mid December. We didn't end up wrapping until February 5th or so, uh, yeah. combination. We, we had a couple of COVID shutdowns. We had, uh, we had snow shut us down a couple of times, uh, You know, so it was like, yeah, I came back for came back for the holiday break for two weeks, you know, and it was like Christmas, New Year's. And then we had a quick birthday celebration, too, because I was going to miss it.
2: How old is your daughter? daughter? Uh, She just turned eight. Wow. Yeah. Those are tough years, man. It's hard. Um, Yeah. I I,
1: just turned out a commercial
2: because my daughter was like, I don't want you leaving again. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah uh, well, you did the right thing. It's important. You know, you're not going to get those time back. And, um, you know, I, I went through a a divorce, which we don't need to go through, you know, all that business, but, um, you know, it, and, and the kids were were mostly with me and I stayed in town for, you know, a good four or five years there trying to make that work. And, um, and then I got this call to do ballers for season two. And I was like, "I, I have to go do that. That's just, you know, that's just too, Big of a career move to not go do it and i had to leave for five months and um, that was tough at that time because they they had been mostly with me but um, so that's you know you have to hire someone to, to, to look after them and stuff you know
0: yeah i guess i guess when the kids are young they can travel with you to a certain extent i have a four-year-old and a six-year-old um but uh my jobs are too short you know to, to consider when I, when the, when my eldest was a baby a couple of times we you know, my wife and him flew out but you know do you, you get to bring you know Tommy do you ever get to bring the family with you
3: yeah they usually come out I mean before COVID I, we would set like a few different dates of you mm-hmm. know, like you know when I did Empire they came out like four times three three times three four times and then when I was in Atlanta they came out like three or four times like you know oh, that's cool the international trip if there wasn't COVID I think it'd be easier I'd probably just be like why don't we all just kind of go? Because like it was majority remote learning anyways. I mean, they're starting to go back now next week, but you can still opt to do remote learning. Um, in which case, it would have been easier, no COVID, to be like, all right, let's uh, let's just figure it out. We'll figure out a schedule with the school because she's at a private school and have the lessons recorded or something a certain way, and you know, and would have figured it out much easier. But you know, the, the COVID variable and the timing is just like they'll probably come out towards the end, I think is better than for them to try to come in the middle. So if they yeah. come out at the end, then I'm gonna put them up, quarantine, and then we get to chill out when I'm not working, which is best, you know cool. what I mean? I mean, a, a word of advice I would give to any young DP is something we talked about that ties into this, is like, you know, we all talk about the fact that we have kids, we have wives, ex-wives, girlfriends, whatever, but it's like, if you really wanna make that jump, you know, you need to make it on your own. Like, and I say, try to make the transition point. Like if you are an electric and you're starting to get your opportunities to like shoot, it's like, if you have a partner, make a clear decision not to bring another human being into the situation. And so maybe you have a little bit more footing because it, it's, it's going to be tough. I know gaffers who I won't name on this, that Started to shoot, and now they can never shoot because the you know, the, the financial implications are way too steep to make a transition yeah. where you got to have a lull period
1: in yeah, order to make a
3: transitional jump.
2: Yeah.
3: you know you got to really think it out and have a discussion either by yourself or with your partner. Like, okay, I'm, somebody's going to need to pick up the weight while I do this. I mean, Ang yeah. Lee has a great career where he was like the provider for his kids and his wife is the doctor, and Aang like raised the kids the first four years while he wrote scripts at home. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, they must've had a discussion of some sort. I mean, now, you know, he's an Oscar winning director, but all those years- Yeah. You you gotta gotta really plan it out or plan it by yourself, I think, And, and no, don't put yourself in a situation that you're not gonna be able to make that jump. Cause then when you stop answering the call as a gaffer, you know, you don't, you know, if you only have yourself to answer to that, the electricity bill is not being paid. It's a much easier conversation than to explain it to your partner.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) And that's what I tell, you know, young, you know, we, we've all worked our way up and, you know, um, you, you know, people do ask, you know, how do you do it? Well, you've got to have a way to make a living because those first jobs you are shooting. They're not going to pay much. I mean, my, the first movie I shot, I didn't even get paid at all shot the whole movie for free Um, you know and and you've got to have some way to make a living and you shouldn't get caught up in you know oh I've got to go be an assistant after I shot a movie because you know because you know there's a there's a huge lull there like you you do a movie and then it takes months before they even complete it and then it goes into theater and you're going and you're sitting by the phone going oh man it's in the movie theater now I'm going to get a job it's not how it works. <laughs> that phone is not ringing. Somebody didn't come out of the movie theater and go, I got to have this guy in there. Like, oh, <laughs> you, know, you still have probably another year before you get a job. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be waiting a long time by that phone if you're waiting for that one. <laughs>
0: it's that yeah, it's part that's sitting around waiting. It's definitely a part of the business, you know, for a lot of people.
2: Um, Well, it's interesting. COVID kind of changed that, at least for me. Like, uh, you know, this was the first time probably in my whole career where I knew I couldn't get a job. Like, and so it kind of relaxed me a little bit to really, really enjoy uh, chilling out. You know, Um, I, I had you know had a guitar for years i could barely play it i just you know i took lessons every day you know online and i just i learned to play guitar And I, you know it's been it was kind of a, a unique moment in time if you could survive it financially um it helped i had a job that i had was on and then i knew it was coming back eventually but yeah um i think my next approach is just going to be more enjoy the time off a little bit more um, and not be so caught up in when am I going to work again? You know, it really showed you that. I think this, this whole t- downtime we had.
3: I wish that was my case, man. Oh my God. We were, we were in the middle of during COVID. My wife and I had started the process last year of buying a house in like January.
0: Wow. And I thought these yeah, people that...
3: would like give a break in terms of like the global pandemic of it all. They were like, right. no, you need to show you, you made X amount while you're in this close. I was like, what?
2: Right. Yeah.
3: So, you know, yeah. a few of us are actually with the same agent, I'm like, I have to figure out how to work. So, these things with Eric, I was doing, like, I had yeah. no, I had to like figure it out because I was like, yeah, yeah. The, these lenders were like, no, we, you gotta, you gotta, and I was like under pressure the whole time because I had to keep showing a number. And I was so, I mean, it yeah. was one of the most stressful parts of my life because I was like, It's a global pandemic. Are you not going to give me a break?
2: I know I can understand that, man. I I was very fortunate. Um, I actually, you know, in that time off, I was looking for a house and then I, and then my realtor said, um, you might want to call and see if you can get pre-qualified. And I called the dude to like, it was a five minute conversation. I can't do anything for you. (laughs) So I had to wait, you know, so I waited. So, uh, I'm in the process now of getting something, but, um, but, but it's yeah, but you still have to show all that stuff. And they're like, What about this six months? You're like, were you, Did you see the news?
3: Right. <laughs> yeah. well, that's exactly what my <laughs> conversation started to be. And yeah. I was like, I can't believe I'm having this conversation with you. And they're like, Well, this right. is what the policy is. You know, yeah. it really kind of ties into this discussion I had with Robert Richardson one time. And I yeah. asked, him, like, What did you do, Bob, like in early career? Bob said when he did his indie movies, he would make them he would figure out to the dollar how much he needed to freaking live. Like my rent is a hundred and like, you know, $300 a month. Plus this is how much is for food. So as long as he covered like that nut for the X amount of time to the dollar, when it was just him, you know, not married, he said that's how he would plan out doing indie movies for years before, you know, he got his Oliver Stone break. You know what I mean? He was like, literally down to like the dollar, like the, like you said, it's the film business. This is still, you got to make a living, but maybe that's the way you do it. What is your bare minimum that you can live off of? And then if you don't have an agent, then you, you tell them this is what I need. So then I can return and not have my stuff put on the street. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, it's, the the business side of this is the hardest lesson I've had to learn. and it's taken years to really learn the yeah,
2: business. Yeah, for
3: sure. The yeah. film business with it all.
2: Yeah, yeah uh, I had to make a really hard decision last year on, um, or maybe it was 2019, yeah, 2019, I guess now, um, where, you know, I had done this film. It's my favorite film uh, called That Evening Sun, with the director, Scott Teams. Um, you know, and for years, he'd been trying to get that second film made. And he finally... Um, I'd been reading scripts of his; they're all great, but he couldn't get the money. And then finally, he calls me like, "I got the money. I'm going to do this film." You know, well, I think I got the money. You know, it's one of those like, yeah. "I got." Well, you know, I, well, I think we're gonna. I think it's gonna work out. And and it, you know, it was an amazing script, and I wanted to shoot it so badly. And then then Baller calls and like, "Okay, we're doing Baller's season five. We want you to do it." And uh and it's the same time, and you're like, "Oh my God! Now what do I do? I really want to shoot this movie," and um. You know, I'm talking to Dan, uh, our agent there, and, you know, he, I'm like, man, it seems that there's a pretty big difference here, right? Like <laughs> what they're offering and what ballers pays. And uh, I said, I don't know if I need to get a calculator out or anything, but, it, you know, he said, you should definitely get a calculator out, you know? And he's like, <laughs> you should get a calculator out, you should see how much it costs you to live, and you should see if that film, the quarry is going to pay you that kind of money. And man, and yeah, it just, it was heartbreaking. I wanted to do it so bad. And, um, but yeah, but you've got to juggle that. And, and I like ballers too. Like it's a great experience to shoot that show. So, um, you know, I called a couple other DPs, Jim Deneau for one. He's like, dude, take ballers. He, he didn't even, he wasn't even, I couldn't even get him to discuss it. He's just like, take ballers um and it's hbo which i think is amazing to work with i mean i've done several projects with them they're fantastic and you have so much creative freedom there there's no one ever calling me going oh it's too dark or it's too this or that they just let you go you know and you're just doing your thing and so anyway i you know probably made in a week and a half on ballers during prep but i didn't even have to do anything what i would have made on that entire movie you know <laughs> like it's just so anyway that's those are hard decisions, but you have to really make them. And, and, you know, and you have to, I think as a young DP, you definitely have to keep your overhead as low as possible. So you have the flexibility to take these films because no one is going to pay you much to do them. And you've got to be able to to do them so you can grow and make, uh, and make uh, artistic films while you can, you know. And I, I'd be interested to hear Eric's story because my story is so much, you know, I don't know if I want to use the word older, but like, it's just so different. When I came up, you had to work your way up. Like there was no other way to do it. And, you know um, and I have young DPs asking me sometimes about, you know, for this roadmap and like, Oh man, it's been so long. I mean, you know, we should, we should try to find a young DP to talk to who's done it because they're so different. So what is, what is your experience, Eric, in terms of this?
1: Um, I don't know that it qualifies a young DP anymore, but uh, well, <laughs> well, I
3: mean,
2: <laughs> um, compared I look like I'm a hundred mother. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, he has, like he has the, the shadow. Older. I got yeah. like
3: the the little, little beard. You got exactly, like exactly. Beard. We're all in different stages
2: of, yeah, we're yeah. all different Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you're not the young VP yeah. I'm referring to in terms of trying to figure <laughs> out the roadmap, but you're. Uh, um, uh, let's face it, dude. I mean, I'd like to be your age, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel good. Yeah,
1: Dave. I feel good. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I didn't, you know. I think, I think my 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 roadmap is different. Uh, just because, so I mean, I I really did kind of just hustle and work my way up, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, and I think, I lost, I lost a lot of jobs to people who didn't need the jobs. Um, I was just talking about this with a friend, you know, the other day, where it was like, you know, I think you hate to think of other DPS as as competition, but at a certain point, you know, um, you know, I was trying to get jobs that I needed to keep the lights on, and you know, there were a lot of young DPS whose parents had just bought them a camera package that would just swoop in. You know and and I wouldn't get the job so you know that that was kind of my my biggest you know my biggest uh you know I think hindrance to to working steadily and consistently is that I actually needed the work um you know and, it, and it, I mean it did for I mean you know my overhead was low it's not whatever but I did have to I did have to keep the lights on um but uh yeah I mean my my path was just was literally just just meeting people on the ground floor on set and building something with them over years and years and years you know yeah um you know kind of going back to tv i think the biggest difference is that the biggest difference is that working on this show you know there is kind of this camaraderie and and uh you know when i when i was doing indie feature when I, i'm not not was but, you know when i do an indie feature it definitely feels like everyone could every indie feature is a auto ticket um you know, and the idea is that it's going to get somebody, you know, a shot if you do this movie well.
3: Um, you hit twice, man.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: I, I ain't hit uh, once, I'm like, Shit. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, yeah. it's like, I, you know, I, I think it's a different feeling, you know, uh, you know, not that it's bad, but it's just, I think there's less writing, you know, on it. You know, like Clemency, for example, we, we you know, I got a new draft of that script every couple months for five years. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, before we finally got that got that movie made, um, right. you know, so that that feeling of, you know, and and, you know, it's for me, it's it's all about doing good work with with kind of young directors who are on the come up and hoping, you know, hoping your career, your careers can can run parallel. Um, right. You know, I have, there are still, there are still a couple, a couple directors that I've done, you know, that I would, I would hop in the trenches with in a heartbeat to do a, to do a tiny movie. Cause we have a relationship when we, you know, we've, we've, you know, we've been talking about their features, what they're doing, what they're writing. I'm reading new drafts, you know, all the time. Um You know, so it's, it's definitely, you know, I think my, my, my biggest, you know, kind of, kind of whatever i can impart to people is just you know create strong relationships with young directors with good directors who you know have the same kind of fire in their belly that you do to, to make it uh, yeah and do good work together
2: yeah, yeah i kept waiting for the first time directors to become second time directors and it just didn't quite work out because they're so much more willing to give money to a first-time director because you don't know what's going to happen you know maybe they'll hit it you know but a, but a, a but a second-time director, they just they just immediately go over to their IMDb Pro. What's the box office, 100000 No, I don't think so. And um, so it's hard, you know, uh, to get that second film. And the second film for directors is what really makes them, if you look at the history of directors. And um, people, you know, point to these films and go, oh, that was their first movie. No, they did one before. You just never heard about it. And, um, you know, Memento was the second film for for him it wasn't the first and it you know throughout you know the history of film it's usually the second one that hits and if you're not there with that director on that second one you're you're not gonna really go anywhere
3: yeah i mean i just had that discussion with somebody about like even michelle gondry you know his first mm-hmm. movie was an eternal sunshine
2: right I mean, <laughs> yeah was, exactly it
3: was, it was the second third movie i think it was the second, yeah. second. But I mean, that's where like when you talk to directors like this new generation, one person you gotta give credit to is Ava DuVernay where she had a plan about her movie. It wasn't that's just right. about finishing the movie. It's about right. what's the plan to let everybody know about this movie. That's you know,
2: right. It don't matter how, that's to your
3: point earlier Rodney, yeah. if people don't know about it, who gives a damn? You know what I mean? But right. everybody knew about Ava's movie mm. because Ava had that's a right. plan about her yep. movie after it was done. No matter if we spent 30 grand on it or whatever, or even if you spent 2 million bucks on it, if you don't have a plan for your movie to let everybody know about it, it's like that's the director you want to, to, to be with. You want to find out what is their plan to make sure everybody knows about their movie, you know? You're
2: absolutely right. Yeah, the movie, you know, That, that Evening Sun being an example, I mean, it won South by Southwest and 13 other film festivals, but there was no money for promotion, none. I mean, there were... They were doing newspaper ads. You're like, really? Like that's, who's gonna, nobody looks at those anymore. You're not gonna get people in a the theater with a newspaper ad, but that's all they could afford. Um,
3: God, God, yeah, so, so you
2: have out. to get people out there to, to yeah. Um, it's hard, that's the hardest part. Yeah,
3: and it should be a discussion, just figure out, you know, the that yeah. the business, man, that's the film business. It ain't the friend business, it's the film. Yeah business it's a way to be creatively savvy like Ava has done like Spike Lee did Yes. Yeah. Yeah. and figure out how to get the word out about your movie you know right
1: I remember the, the trailer uh I think what was it? it might have been she's got to have it uh yeah. the trailer well, was Black, Spike on the, the bike selling socks oh. so good uh on on Flatbush and he's like yeah. come see my movie because if you don't I'm really gonna be here selling these socks <laughs> yeah yeah
2: yeah exactly those yeah that was- He's a genius at getting people into the theater, yeah, for sure. And he makes good films. So, But but if uh, but if he didn't know how to get people in the theater, it wouldn't have mattered. Right.
3: It would not have mattered. Yeah. And he's
2: just such a great story in terms of his progression. With each one, he got more and more people to see him. And, you know, what an incredible career. You know,
0: you know um, I'm just thinking, thinking about the time, guys. I don't want to keep you guys for too long. There's there's a bunch more questions I would love to, have asked, to ask you. Um, one, one thing I, I do want to ask uh, really um, that some, one of you touched upon about, you know, uh, Rodney, you said you know, um, working with HBO and now, all right, you work with, with HBO. Tommy, I'm not sure if you have, but you they just
3: shut me it. down like two months ago.
0: No. They, they shut you down?
3: They what? shot me down. A, that, that's so good. It shot me down. Yeah, I, you- I had a three-month interview for something and all of a
0: sudden but then you know, there was another job i said you and eric can no, no <laughs> that that means according to eric you'll get the next one yeah yeah in nine months time yeah, they'll yeah, be grab- back.
1: <laughs> hey if i can bat 100 if i can bat 500
2: with uh, with hbo i'll I'm, i'll be all right
1: <laughs> exactly so, but, um, yeah
2: i definitely haven't gotten all of them i mean i i went into a I, they called me in for a meeting uh, HBO uh, for a pilot man and it was a great script and I was really excited and I go in and I you know I hadn't really gone to a. The, the director wasn't even there you know it was it was with the executives and I had never done that before myself and I go in there and everything's great I know a bunch of them we've been on sets together it's all friendly great and then all of a sudden they're like okay so tell us tell, tell you know tell us and I'm just like oh they, oh, they want to pitch. Like, I'm I'm not a pitch guy. What? Like I'm used to I'm talking with a director about collaboration and what we're going to do and visual, and here's an idea. And this was a full-on, like, like, it was like I was a writer. I was like, uh-oh, I did not get that job. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go well, man. I was trying, you know, flailing. It, uh, it was bad. I know how to do it now. But I definitely lost that one.
0: <laughs> well, well, you know, what, what I wanted to ask, Emma, what, about the, um, like having creative freedom, you know, I, with a movie, you, know, you get to put your own look, you, know, you and the director get to decide the look uh, and how you want to tell the story. Um, with TV, is it, are you up against execs, the showrunner who, you know, who comes to you and says, that's not how I want it to look? Yeah, I want your look. I want you to bring your look to the show. But ultimately, you know, like there's there's certain shows, you know, that I've kind of dipped in and out of, you know, that have a playbook, and um, uh, and as a DP, as a, a DP friend says to me, said to me one time, you know, they've got um uh, they've got you know, an incredible artist, you know, painting by numbers essentially, uh, because you know you're not using the talents. Uh, what what the, what you you can do as a cinematographer, what you can bring to the table. You know, you just have to do it. You have to do your your wide. You know, like, let's talk about coverage. You have to do your wide, your your medium, your close up. You know, from every different angle. Uh, don't get creative with the camera work or don't get creative with the lining. It's got to it's just gonna have the look that, that we've set as a show, and that's how we want it to look. Is that your experiences, all of you, or you know, are you? Does it change from show to show, or can you can you, you know yeah.
1: I'm going to tell a quick story relating to what Ronnie just said about, about uh, a pitch. I just had an interview for a show um, that, uh, like, I don't, I'm not going to call anybody out, but it's it, it's a show that took place in a world that I know very well. Um, you know, it's 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 like a New York, very like it's very 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 much my wheelhouse and very much the kind of thing I've shot before uh, in the future world. Um, uh, it's with the showrunner, no directors, nobody else, uh, and the showrunner was like, you know. Uh, it, was, it was not for the first season of the show and the showrunner was like, you know, if you were the DP of this show, what do you think you would what do you think you would bring to the table? What do you think you would change? Um, and I was like, well, you know, if you want to be fully honest, I think, you know, I think I would change this. This could use a little improvement. You know, Some I talked about skin tones on some of the darker skinned actors um, needing some work, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, OK, OK, all right. Interesting. And I was like, what are you what are you looking for a DP to change? And he stops and he goes. Nothing.
2: <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> oh man! I said,
1: "Well, all right." Do well,
2: <laughs> you mind know, talking to you? I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <That's> that. <laughs> but you know, but but you know what I have to say is in in a you know I don't know who it is or anything and, that, and please you don't need to say that but like that then that's probably not the best environment to be in because yeah you want someone even if it's season two that says how are we going to make this better? Even if it's your own work, you, when you go to season two, how are we going to make this better? What are we going to do? Everybody needs to be on board with that. And, um, you know, I've done quite a few season twos for some reason and season threes. And, you know, I always, I always come in and try to make it better and, you know, no, no, uh, Nothing against the DP that shot it before. It's just the process. They would have done the same thing. Everybody wants to make everything better, and that's who you want to be working with. So, um, in my case, I've I've just had a lot of creative freedom. I can say I've never really faced someone saying you have to do this many shots or this many, um, you know, this kind of shot or anything. I've I really had a lot of freedom. I can't complain at all about that. Um, it's been a great experience for me.
3: Yeah, I mean, just depending on the network, too. Certain yes. level of a certain type of, like, way of doing things. And That's true. Brand, per se. You yeah. know, um, being on FX, they kind of let you, you know, run. Sometimes I think I can go off of the reservation a little bit in terms of, like, yeah. trying things, but, you know, I'm like, oh, I uh, At least I tried. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. If yeah. you watch Snowfall, but I don't know. Uh, it just depends on the showrunner I mean, I usually kind of dance with them a little bit, and then sometimes, if I know what type of show it is, you know, like I, I did I, I did Empire, and the the, the show is like it has a certain way of doing things. Right. And the showrunner and I get along great, Sana, uh, and she would say, you know, this thing is like, you know, it's like a sheet of cookies. There's 12 cookies on the sheet. Each cookie gets like. Three chocolate chips. You can put the chocolate chips anywhere you want, but they can only be twelve cookies per sheet. And that's kind of like what it was. But you know what? It was an open, honest discussion. Yep. So by me, for me, not going in there with assumptions, I do nothing but love her for it. And the guy I was stepping in for, Jody, he said the same thing. But it's like if I know that going into it, I can't be mad. I took the job. You know, Jody that's needs right. somebody to step in for him. I went, and did the job, and he said, "These are the parameters." I said, "Hey." Okay, cool. I had nothing going on tomorrow. Cool, but at least I knew what going. On. It's not like Snowfall. I can't approach. I couldn't approach Empire like Snowfall.
2: Right. Yeah.
3: Design and all that. Like I can move it a little bit, but yeah, I understood. I had twelve cookies per sheet with three chocolates right. per cookie.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's all about the storytelling with the camera and how you're going to approach it. And and definitely, showrunners have a. Heck of a lot of input. I mean, it's their show, you know. And at the end of the day, you're you're working for them. And there's a bunch of different directors coming in. You know, mm-hmm. um, I had a showrunner tell me he didn't care about the directors' once He just wanted me to do what he wanted. You know, so now I know that parameter. You know, but like on crashing, you know, I'm doing a Judd Apatow show, and he and and they're like, okay, so on our show, we shoot two cameras, cross coverage, every setup. Do you have a problem with that? Nope. You don't have a problem with that. They asked me like a 12 times during the interview. That's It was like the most they wanted to know was, are you okay with that? Maybe they'd had somebody got grumpy about it. I don't know. And I just took it on as like, that's my challenge for this show. I'm going to learn how to cross cover every scene in this show. And I'm going to do it as best I can. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the third camera was actually used for probably 50% of the two camera setups. We threw the third camera at it, at the you know looking at the two shots. So I had that camera and those cameras, and that's how we shot that show. And I, I enjoyed the process of trying to figure that out. You know, like it was it was cool. Uh, I I had a good time on that. So awesome. so you know it just depends on you know at the end of the day, man. I got in this to have fun, and I'm um I want to have fun. I want my crew to have fun. It's going to be a relaxed set. We're going to get through the work. You know timely manner and we're gonna do uh do the best we can with it you know and but uh, you know it's not gonna be anybody screaming on the set that i'm on we're gonna just have a good time and make the show
3: nobody's just as open on the operating table you know what i mean like, right. yeah
2: exactly
0: you know, waiting in the other room to find out if you uh took their life yeah. You
3: know
0: yeah
2: exactly exactly
0: so I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna throw one more question at you guys before <clears> we wrap <throat> up if that's okay and um Uh, I'll start with, uh, and you and you know, feel free not to not to answer or deflect. Um, I'm going to start with with an experience of my own just to kind of set the tone. Uh, It really is. What what did you do? What have you done wrong in your career that you that you've learned from and that you could share? That you know, um, just one experience that you could share uh, with with young people who are afraid of. Of screwing up or making a mistake or like, oh, I'm never going to get hired again or what you know, or, or I'm never, you know, I'm not going to come back to this. I mean, I, and I'll just say, you know, one of many mistakes I've made. But um, I was on a, I was on a commercial one time, and uh, it was like, I think it was like the fourth round of a, of a of a client with the same director, and I still work with this director, but. Um, we want to, you know, they, everyone, you know, all the agency creatives, that we, get, we want to get creative. We want to change things up a little bit. So uh, I got these, the Vantage T1 lenses. And, um, you know, I don't know if anyone's shot on those Vantage T1 lenses, but when you're shooting wide open at T1, there's some kind of diffusion, everything blooms out. And you're not getting that back, basically. So we're on the set and, uh, and we're lining up this shot. And, uh, and I said to the guys, and I'm like, look, this is the look. We can go for. It. I said, like, this is what it looks like when it's wide open. It kind of has that kind of kind of dreamy feel. And this is, you know, it kind of fits the story a little bit. But if you decide you don't want that, you know, it's like, um, they, uh, you know, then play it safe and, and we'll stop down half a stop, whatever. And there, so the, the director spoke to the agency creative, uh, creative director, and they were like, let's go for it. No, we're gonna go for it. I said, okay, cool. We went for it, and we went for it. And I shot it. And uh, about a week later, somebody—it was post—I got a phone call for the production company. Matthew, uh, you need to give us a call right now. And that's I, so of course, I called up. You know, I was started panicking because I could hear the, the stress in their voice. <laughs> and I, said, I said, "What's going on, guys?" And they said, um, "So, so it's come down from somebody very high up, you know, at the client, that there's that they're not happy about. There's a certain look on the on the footage and." Um, uh, they want to know what it is and how they can get rid of it. And I was like, "Certain look, what do you mean by certain look? What, what, I don't understand." Anyway, pretty much, it came back that it was just kind of like diffused. You know, they've been trying to you know sharpen it and add contrast and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I was like, "So, well, oh no, well, we discussed that on set. You know, we had a you know we discussed it on set. I was like, I told everyone there's no coming back from that. And they're like,
1: mm.
0: No, you've done something. You've got to fix it." And so so I was like, okay, great. So of course I I tried to kind of get in the, you know, with the colorists and of course it, you know, we got somewhat part of the way of making it look like we hadn't shot it wide open. But anyway, the point is the story, uh, for about two years, I didn't work with that director again. And, um, you know, we're we're often the full guy, you know, we're the people, the you know, there's a DP, you're the one that people come to you looking for solutions for everything, for time, for creativity, for, solutions for money, how can we make this work? You know, and when it doesn't go right, you know, you're the one that falls. So, I mean, uh, you know, I learnt, I learned, you know, like to triple check things and, you know, now I don't take those risks, at least on the commercials anymore. I, I just play it safe, you know, unless we really, you know, like, I'm, you know, I have the top dog of the people, but, um, you know, that's my approach. That's something that I learned the hard way. What did you, you know? Do you guys all have a story you can share? And then I think probably wrap it up for time, or we can wrap it up for time now. You can all quietly <laughs> pass. Uh, no, I'll, I'll,
1: I'll kick it off with a. Uh, it's so. I don't know. If this is uh, a long time ago. I was, um, I was starting to get in. i shot a feature. I shot one feature for this. Uh, for this kind of like uh, lower budget uh, horror. Kind of outfit in New York, um, and uh, they they knew that I was kind of more into the, like the dramatic thing, uh, and uh, they kicked me over to a director who was doing like a very small, uh, a very small, kind of like short or a, it was I think it was longer than a short, but it was you know, um, and we sat down, no money, no budget, no like nothing. It was like me, a camera and like two Kinos. Um, and I, you know, we, we sat down in prep prep was like at a coffee shop for an afternoon prep. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I was like, I was like, you know, there's like, we can't, we don't have the ability to cheat anything on this. Like when we walk into a location, it has to be that location. Um, you know, whatever we're doing here has to be, we have to be kind of capturing, the real world with this movie um she was like that's makes sense that's great you know and we get into we get into this kind of like bright white brooklyn loft um and she hands me a script and says oh these see i'm you know i made these scenes all night now <laughs> and i said you know i was like well what do you you know what do you mean she was like yeah 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 like these are all I, these all worked better as night so I rewrote them for that um but like we still we only had the loft rented for the day so we just need to like you know I know you day for night and do this kind of stuff you know and when I tell you I really did my best I was like you know um I'm you know I have my color temp bumped to like 10,000 so that any blue light coming in still it's like a little warm you know And you still, you know we had you know trash bags taped up on the wall oh my um, god and uh and uh she you know on set again you know we're on set, the same kind of thing we're on set you know I'm like look like this is this is all we can do right now and she's like no it's great you know I appreciate it you know thanks 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 you know I know I threw you a curveball and I'm like okay a curveball um, <laughs> and uh that's a mean and curveball then, and then, uh, you know, we wrap and she sends the footage to this production company. And it's like, why did you recommend this guy? He doesn't know what he's doing. This is a oh night scene. God. Why does it look Oh, like this? this? looks terrible. Oh. Whoa. Uh, and, uh, and I had to go interview again for a feature that I already had with this company where they pulled up all this footage and they were like, what'd you do? <laughs> And so, uh, uh, and well, so like, uh, yeah. So I mean, since then I have definitely doubled down on my like you know, uh, if we're gonna make the world something that it that it is not, you know, we all need to be on that page from jump. Yeah, and you know, you need to you know, I'll trust you, but you need to trust me. If there's something that, you know, I say we cannot make this look the way you want it to look, you yeah. have to you know what I mean. There has to be yeah. mutual trust that way. But yeah, since yeah. then, don't don't cheat has been a big a big mantra of mine on uh, on smaller things.
2: Yeah, you definitely have to get everybody on the same page and it's hard sometimes so,
3: and, uh, you know, yeah. No, I, I guess I would say, uh biggest on, thing how many I've learned, have. God, there's just this so many of them. I, mean, <laughs> I thought you were trying to <laughs> find my, yeah. the one The one I would say is like, you know, just arguing with the director because your idea is different, after a certain point, you just kind of have to be like, You gotta pay me the same amount of money. They're like, Yeah, if i could put the camera up. You know what I mean? It's kind of like to, to hold up production after, like, yeah, yeah, yeah you right. had a game planned and they, they throw you like to where to put the camera differently. Going from showing up with the pages of your day to night, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's just incredible. I'd be like, Yeah, yeah. I would like we need to get a producer on the phone that's one thing i do i did learn over the years after getting thrown in front of the bus is like i gather everybody up and i'm like okay so just just so we all stand here and understand <laughs> let them know and then make sure you talk to, to the producer and the producer kicks it down to everybody else because i'm not we're not going to agree on it and then all of a sudden the producer who answers to the studio or whoever the executives are is not pivy to us. So since the producer's gonna be the liaison to the money, then let's make sure that you say that to the money. Cause I'm not gonna be the one in front of the bus. I've already had that happen, but I'll gather the first AD producer yeah. uh, or multiple producers. And I'm like, okay, so this is what's been talked about. What do you guys, you know, you guys, you explain to them. Cause I'm not gonna be, you know, run over right, just right. for that reason. Cause it's happened to me before. But also, it's just not, after some points, it's just not worth arguing with the director where to put the camera lens because they're going to pay right. the same amount of money. And your whole, your show should not be hinging on one shot. Right. Otherwise, it's been a bad fucking movie the whole time. You know what I mean? Like,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always tell the director that, you know, I'm going to always tell you what I think. I will always tell you what I think. At the end of the day, it's your decision. You know, so there's not a lot of the arguing because, you know, here's what we should do. I think the camera goes here. I don't want it there. I want it over here. Okay. You're the director. I'll put it over here. But, um, you know, and hopefully though, hopefully that's not happening very often and you're both collaborating really well. And it's, it's a great you know thing, but, um, I'm trying to think about them. Mis- I, I think I would say like, it's hard, but like, if you, you kind of can't be afraid to make mistakes, you're going to make them. They're going to happen. And if you're not, um, you, you kind of have to um, accept that in a way so that you can be more brave and try to shoot something that is different or what you're trying to do. And you can't be afraid that it's going to be a mistake. You know, um, I did a show where, you know, the creator of the show said, I want something different than anything is on television. OK, well, I haven't watched all the television, but so we've created this look. Um, he loved it. It was fantastic. And about um, in season two of, you know, 18 or 19 episodes into this thing, the senior producer director brings me, comes to me and goes, The, uh, the, the head of the network saw the show and said, The show looks dirty. It's cool. That's what we're doing. No, no, she means dirty like she doesn't like it. What? We're on episode like what here? Okay. What, is, what What are we doing? I don't know. That's, you know, the senior person, I don't know. Okay. Well, should we do some tests or something? Show them what, <clears throat> what we're doing now? <laughs> it's crazy. You know? um, so what happened? But what happened? Yeah. Um, we tried to make it look like the network and eventually um, eventually I got let go and for me it actually was good because I didn't want to shoot it normal it wasn't the story and I don't think um, and I don't really have any regrets about it like and I called you know the we I had a great discussion with the creator about it I think he ended up in a hard you know rock between a rock and a hard place at the studio and I said hey man this was awesome. Thank you for, I, I, I said, thank you. Uh, I said, I know I shot a beautiful show because you kept telling me how beautiful it was. And thank you for allowing me the creative freedom to do that show.
0: It was great. Yep.
2: Moving on. Yeah.
0: Exactly. You know, it's, we, we all, we all, uh, like you said, we all, we all struggle with the concept of failure. Uh, and I think it's, I think it's something that, that not just us as DPs, you know, with the huge responsibilities we have, but any, all of us in life. And I think i you know, I'll, I'll finish up with this. I, I heard, um, a really good audio, audio book a few months ago during the lockdown. It was, um, written by, uh, uh, an, an English math teacher like, for kids and, uh, trying to help kids like improve themselves, at, at maths and, and, um, there's like, she came up with this concept as a fixed mindset, uh, where, you know, you, you you might come across something and you might say, I can't do that, you know? And if you feel like you can't do it, then then you kind of, you give up. But, uh, but if you actually have an open mindset to something and you realize it's okay to fail, it's okay. The very act of failing actually allows you, you to grow and is actually a very important part of getting better at what you do. Um, then once you once you give into that, you realize you actually probably want to fail because failing, you know, the, the she said was like the first fail first attempt in learning, you, you know, you need to fail. And once you once you fail, you learn how to do it better and then you grow. So um, uh, I try to you know, embrace that concept. Uh, now, moving forward. Um, but guys, listen, I think we've taken up enough of your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, all of you, for really you know, sharing your experiences and coming on today. I know um, one's going to get a ton of value from from hearing you guys all talk. Really appreciate it. Uh, wish you luck and, with the future endeavors, and I hope you'll stay safe. And, um, thanks, for uh, and, and
2: yeah, uh, thanks for having Yeah, uh, thanks for
3: having us. a great. Good guys. Like, Eric and Rodney good people. So
0: yeah, like, really great. For sure. Yeah. Next time we'll do this in Home Depot, guys. I don't know what you think,
3: but is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Cinematographers getting hardware and uh, yeah. talking movies. Yeah, yeah. And talk
1: I would yeah. I would watch that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would watch a show where D P yeah, just walked yeah. around
0: Depot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, there's the next reality show. I'm right. taking cool. over
1: Seinfeld's coffee and cars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> D- DP's in Home Depot. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well um thanks again guys i just want to i just want to say a quick thank you to the rest of the film roundtable team uh Aaron Weil, doug torres and Rhea prieto who's kind of constantly working hard to you know with the rest of us to kind of put together these roundtables and you know a lot of people are getting value out of them and, and once again uh, we really appreciate you your time so um stay safe and uh look forward to seeing you guys and talking again at some point in the future no,
1: thank yeah. you so much appreciate it